Welcome to the Jay LaRock Show. I'm your host, Jay LaRock. This show is powered by ObsoleteGamer.com and the Mascot Studios Podcast Network. You can find this podcast on Himalaya, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found. We continue our podcaster series with David Ramil. David is a writer and a blogger covering the NBA and is also the host of Locked On Heat for the Locked On Podcast Network. With the changing dynamics of covering sports, I wanted to focus on his journey from his early beginnings writing for websites such as Fansider to starting a Miami Heat-based podcast with his former co-host, Wes Goldberg, to joining the Locked On Podcast Network and building Locked On Heat into a successful podcast. Oh, that's, uh, I'm not sure that I'm there yet. I, I feel like there's still another level for me to reach, to be quite honest with you. I've, I've been at this more or less for about seven years. And I, I still feel like there is, like I said, another place where I can get to where I can feel much more comfortable, especially because it seems like the ground keeps giving way beneath everybody's feet. I mean, you look at people who have been in this business for decades in some cases, and they're working for major well-established news outlets and then all of a sudden those pivot and completely change the way they want to do business you look at what happened with sports illustrated and Mm. the kind of quality writing that that magazine had long been associated with and then all of a sudden they get bought out by new ownership that wants to change the way they do things and go to you know basically team run sites where it's ad driven and a lot of video content and things that sort and then the quality of writing suffers and then I mean, conversely, you look at what's happened over the last couple of weeks and and that outlet itself has hired a bunch of really good writers. And so it's hard to say that you can ever get too comfortable. And I've been very, very fortunate that what I started out basically doing as a hobby has turned into something, I won't go so far as to say lucrative, but it's been financially rewarding in a way that a lot of people don't ever quite make it when it, when it comes to sports writing or podcasting. I, I don't know that a lot of the people that I see as my contemporaries ever quite get to the point that I'm at right now, which is, you know, it sounds like I'm bragging, but the reality is that I feel like I've been very fortunate and lucky and some others just haven't gone that same opportunity. Yeah. And I think, but I think that's a uh, important distinction because um, like you were saying before, there are people that can always look at something and think that you're either bragging or you're looking for some kind of adulation. But right. at the same time, I think it's important that people realize that you have to have those goals that you reach that you feel good at, even if someone else may look at it and say, wait, is that it? You know, I, 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 I struggle with weight, so I akin it to that, where if it's like, if you lose a pound, you should celebrate, even though someone who's maybe a bodybuilder would be like, right. that's nothing. So I think that that's important. Um, but as far as with writing, was that what you started with uh, first as, as far as writing for sports? Yes, actually, it was. Uh, my first post came, I think, in 2014. It might have been 2013. And it was uh, a fan post with SB Nation's Miami Heat related website. It was a team that I was, you know, I grew up following them and uh, I had seen them when I lived in Miami. And then my wife and I moved to Tallahassee and it was in the middle of the big three era. So of course they were a very popular team and and I really did love that team and was a, a, a fan. And, and so I saw this website that had a lot of information because I had some more free time when I moved up to Tallahassee than I had in Miami when I was working in public relations. And so that took up 
a bulk of my time. I was, you know, I was following the team as much as I possibly could from the outside as a fan, you know, getting news. I had logged onto Twitter in 2010 for the first time to follow free agency and what happened with you know, LeBron and Dwayne and, and Chris Bosh. And, uh, you know, that was the beginnings of my, my real trying to immerse myself into what that team was all about. But again, it was just from a fan's perspective. And then I submitted a fan post on Hot Hot Hoops, the SB Nation Miami Heat site. And I guess it was well-received. And I heard some, you know, from some people who ran the site or were, you know, regular contributors, you know, they really liked it. I, I, you know, built my Twitter profile. I had like maybe four or five followers, not a great deal. Not that it means a lot or anything like that, but I was just starting off as far as getting into that world. I had no idea it existed before I actually even submitted that fan post. I was never big on going onto ESPN, you know, mods or anything like that and talking about it on realgm.com or any of the other sites that might've been established around that time. I, I really did not know that this world existed. And then I had just kind of stumbled onto this hot, hot hoop site, submitted a fan post and it worked out and then submitted another one and another one. And then eventually I saw that maybe there was a way for me to, you know, get hired there as a contributor. And I saw that there were other sites like fan sided that had their own sites. And so I submitted an application to all you can heat, which was the other Miami Heat site. So again, I was very focused on writing about Miami about Miami Heat basketball, and then I joined Hoops Habit, which is also part of Fanside, and that was my first paid gig where I was submitting articles on a monthly basis. You had to meet a eight piece criteria per month, and then you would get you know paid based on clicks and page views and things of that sort and i started making some okay money like you know like great change to have around or you could pay your cable bill things of that sort nothing significant but i was like wow i can't believe i'm getting paid to write about basketball and then i just started slowly seeing what that world was like and you know you saw I, i'd like to think of myself as a writer first and foremost and so i think that i'm a pretty decent writer and i kind of compared myself to some of the other great writers that were out there and, and see if maybe I could learn from them and, and adapt my style to be more about basketball. Cause I had never thought of doing this before. I mean, I'd written some fiction. I, again, I was written PR, so I know how to write and I studied journalism, but I had never thought about writing features or anything like that for any kind of consistent period of time. And so this was an all new world that I kind of had to just immerse myself into and learn as I was going along. And then after writing, what was it that gave you that first jump into podcasting? Well, we were, my former co-host on uh, Locked on Heat, Wes Goldberg, was actually managing the All You Can Heat site. And, you know, I was, I guess he considered me one of their, his top writers. And we used to talk pretty regularly via Twitter or text or something like that. And he's like, you know, we should get into podcasting. I had heard the word before, but I had no <laughs> idea what it meant. And this was, a, I want to say it was 2014, because I remember covering the breakup of the big three and the finals run, but it was something I had no idea about. I didn't know anything on the production end of things, how it worked out and how people downloaded podcasts. Like he would talk to me about these things. And I'm like, look, I, I have no idea what you're saying. And so I had to, again, just pick his brain a little bit. He was recording my conversation with him by phone and i think he was uploading it through GarageBand on his macbook oh, wow. computer yeah so that was how it was uh, our first conversations and we had this podcast called the heat check which is you know we would talk 
every once in a while, like whenever we felt like something newsworthy was happening and we, he would call me and say, you want a pod? I say, sure, let's do it. So I'd go and talk and we had no structure, no format, no ads, no anything. It was just basically a conversation for as long as we wanted to talk about, you know, half an hour to an hour and a half on some occasions. And then we would post it via all you can heat. And some people clicked on it and listened to it theoretically. And so we got a couple hundred listens, I guess, at most. And we were lucky enough that uh, a couple years after doing this, and we were still plugging along, doing our own thing with writing and uh, podcasting and everything. And then we were contacted by David Locke, the president of the Locked On Podcasting Network. So that's one of the things that people who think about doing a podcast, or maybe they've tried one or two and they're wondering, you know, oh, am I worth it? You know, what am I looking to get out of it? Uh, It seemed like at the beginning, you, this was like an extension of writing. Cause I love, I love the part of conversations and sometimes people tune in, especially for sports, because they just want to hear like hot takes. Some people want to hear it. Like it is just stats and info. Other people want to build that community where it's like, sometimes you joke around, sometimes it's all business. What was the approach that you went going into this since you didn't really have any experience with podcasting? I honestly, I feel like I am still, even to this day, very naive about some of the aspects that you're talking about. Like there is, and I I know it it comes across as I'm being very, um, like I'm boasting or something along those lines, but I have no no layer to me, no, no, no outside external surface to this. My conversations with you or myself when I'm podcasting or anybody else that I talk to when I'm interviewing is basically my interactions with everybody I know. There, there is no uh, external professionalism to me. It's basically just me talking. And so when Wes and I started talking about heat basketball, it was really just that. It's like, okay, he brings up some stats. Maybe that's not my strength when it comes to you know basketball analysis. It's more about outside the box thinking and kind of the human perspective on the players themselves, and just wanting to carrying on that conversation. You know, it was about the bigger topics for me. You know, LeBron's departure, the acquisition of Goran Dragic is one that stands out. But even again, trying to incorporate some of that humor, <laughs> we we were doing this so infrequently that there was no structure or real pattern to the way we were doing. It. In fact, one of our best shows was one that never even aired where we talked for an hour and a half about Airbud because it was peripherally related to basketball. It was just <laughs> us cracking jokes and making light of this ridiculous movie about a basketball playing dog. And we didn't even wind up publishing it because we wound up like covering, we were going to cover the whole movie and talk about it little segments at a time. And we wound up spending an hour and a half just talking about the first 10 minutes of the movie it was so ridiculous, but it made me laugh so much and Wes laugh as well. And we wound up never publishing it to this day one of my biggest regrets as far as podcasting but just wanting to talk you know just wanting to carry on a conversation about basketball because I think that's to me anyway that's probably the most appealing aspect of the game is the personalities the players and having gotten a chance to talk with them now that's been a whole eye-opener for me but at the same time even when I was just growing up or listening you know first starting to watch basketball these personalities that seemed larger than life, the players like Michael Jordan and everybody else that just, they had dominated advertisements and you knew about them as cultural pop figures, but at the same time, you didn't really know them, know them until I started watching the game. And then all of a sudden I was just really intrigued by how they interacted on and off the court. And 
that's that's what inspired me to get into basketball. And then as I actually wound up making, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say again, a living off of this, but getting more into this world of podcasting, that's just what I wanted to continue, just carrying on conversations about a game I love. Was there, um, I guess, was there any type of learning curve or was there any type of big difference once you got with Locked On Podcast Network? Because sometimes I've seen people who've had podcasts going for a while and they've thought about joining up with a group and they're always worried about how it'll be received or how people may have input on how they do their shows, different rules, things like that. And other people look at it as, hey, this is a chance for us to grow and grow our brand and be just more well-known overall. With I love the way the structure of the podcast uh, Locked On works, that you have all these different people. Some people write, some people see more uh, on the side of fans. Did you feel like there was an adjustment period when you joined them? Oh, absolutely. I, I you know, we weren't doing this as regularly as, uh, as the Locked On Network is. And that was the whole structure of that network when they first pitched, you know, our joining them they said, you know, it's a daily podcast. And we're like, daily? Wow, that sounds like a big commitment. And and so, you know, they said, basically, it's just half an hour, but it's a half an hour as far as the finished product is concerned, but it's not as, as far as, you know, thinking about what you have to say and taking the time to record it and then producing it and uploading it and everything else. That That's a considerable amount of time. And I was very, very fortunate that Wes really handled the bulk of that. Like, I was coming in there basically for my analysis and he was doing most of the behind the scenes work so we were very i was very fortunate in that regard that he handled most of it and you know we had to do this every day and sometimes there were moments particularly that first season when we joined the team it was when um the miami heat struggled at the start of their season the, the loss of Dwayne wade they went 11 and 30 during mm -hmm. the first half of the season. And there were moments there. We were, it was agonizing to talk about this team because they were so bad and they were just losing all the time. Something we had not been used to. And there was anything, there wasn't any big story to really latch onto. It was just kind of trying to find a way to talk about this team uh, that was somewhat enjoyable. And then yeah, you get reviews and you hear people say, you know, fix your audio. It's like, sorry, we were just doing this by phone not that long ago. I bought my first microphone a week ago. Give me a break here. I'm trying to figure out how it even works. Um, you know, so there was definitely a, a learning curve there. And I'd like to think that we're a little better at it. I know Wes certainly is. I've gotten a little better myself, but it's just, it's uh, it was very interesting to me to see how everything got pulled together and then you know we were very lucky that partly to your point it's always i think interesting to enter into this kind of group environment because you are stronger you are greater than the sum of your parts you know individually the lockdown heat crew me and west were not maybe all that good but because we were part of this bigger unit and because david Locke was able to grow it and expand it where it wasn't just about basketball, but eventually about football and college sports and everything that it covers. It's gone to be this huge animal where that he recently was able to, to sell. Uh, and so the network has grown and we've kind of had to adjust along with it. So that learning curve still exists to some degree, but it was particularly sharp when we first joined the network. And it seems that adaptability, like you said, is, is that's one of the keys to anything because just in all this going from writing, just, submitting and seeing what happens to writing where you can make a little money to podcasting, joining a bigger group. Um, I remember also listening to you when you were doing the locked on the national show with all of the NBA and you guys seem to seamlessly trans 
transfer over to doing that as well. And I ended up listening to that because I was like, wow, this is really good to, to hear you guys on that. Was that a big change or was like, hey, it's just, you know, just adding a couple of more teams and a little more commentary? Well, you know, I'll, I'll always be most interested in what happens with the Miami Heat. And of course, now that I've, I'm running the show by myself, but, you know, it was when I first started writing outside of Miami based websites, you know, I, I started trying to pitch bigger stories about other NBA players. And I got league pass for the first time when I didn't even know what that means. And I was able to watch, this was before the birth of my son who is now 27 months old. So back then I had so much more time. I could watch Sacramento Kings games at one o'clock in the morning and not have to worry about what happens the next day. And, and so I started like just really immersing myself in the NBA and watching all these other teams. And, you know, there's nothing like local coverage of these individual teams, because while it's great to watch these players and teams on TNT or, or, you know, ABC or ESPN, the local commentators know the teams better than anything else. And they'll talk about the aspects of these teams that you should know from a, a person who's trying to cover the league at large. And so that's, that was my, learning process there was just watching these teams play and you know starting to figure out these personalities and then eventually I became credentialed and that was when you know I started getting much more of a national perspective about the league and and that's really helped me I think as far as being able to talk about the NBA at large for uh, via locked on NBA so anyone who's a heat fan always loves the idea of being able to talk to you know, the players and just get an idea, especially with social media, you get an idea, you have some of a closeness, but it's still, there's still that wall, but you might hear something uh, that, oh, you know, Justice Winslow likes this, or you might hear that Jimmy Butler loves that. But when you're there working, it's a little bit different because you you create that friendship or relationship as far as business. And then there might even be a little bit of repertoire between both of you because you're going to be talking to them over and over. What was it like when you first was in the room being able to talk to players? It was a little nerve wracking. I'd be honest with you. Like it was not something I had been fully prepared for, but not, not even just because of your being starstruck or anything like that, but it's just, there's so much involved in the actual process of getting credentials and knowing your place and having to work your way into a locker room well, let's be honest, these guys have, for the most part, just been busting their hump for two and a half hours. They're exhausted. They want to shower, get on an airplane. They don't necessarily want to talk to somebody with a microphone in their face or a recorder in their face, in my case. And, and so it's, it's not always that easy. You have to learn the nuances of what it's like to be in a locker room. And so I actually happen to be writing for an Oklahoma City Thunder-based website uh, via fan-sided again. And I was the the uh, managing editor of the site at the time. And I reached out to the Orlando Magic because then we moved to Gainesville, Florida. And so it was an hour and a half away from the Orlando Magic Arena. And I reached out to the Magic and they said, oh, can you, you know, can I get credentials for the, the Thunder coming in for one particular game? And they said, well, we can't do that. We don't even know who you are. You have to get approval from Thunder PR. And this was at a time when Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook were on that team and Thunder PR is notoriously overprotective of their players. Hmm. And it was just very, I, I just took a chance. I emailed the PR director directly, which is something that Fansided does not know and probably would not be too happy about. And they certainly <laughs> frown upon because again, while I consider myself to be on the more professional end of the spectrum when it comes to bloggers or writers, there are others that are really just 
you know, very much fan-like and they're, they're angry and not necessarily professionally trained. They don't have any journalistic experience. In any case, I reached out to Thunder PR directly and they're like, yeah, I've got you. We'll, we'll leave credentials for you. So they worked it out with Magic PR. I went there, took an hour and a half. And of course, being my first covered gig here, I was like an hour early just to kind of figure out where everything is and parked there ahead of time and just kind of wandered around the arena, try to get my feeling for where everything is and actually going into the locker room, seeing where the where coaches do their press conferences and how, you know, the, the guys that cover the team, the beat writers, they had like this timing down pat that I, I mean, I'd like to think I still have now, but it took me a while to get there and you kind of just follow along, you know, see, Oh, okay. Yeah. This is where you're supposed to go next. And, and that's a big part of it. So you kind of just have to figure out, okay, this is where I have to go because everybody else seems to be moving in this general direction. And then they open up locker rooms. And again, that's that's a whole different environment and pre-game it's very quiet you have guys that are facing their stall they've got headphones on some guys are eating some guys are cracking jokes some guys are stretching so it's just you know it's a very inclusive environment and you're kind of violating it and so it feels a little weird to just come up to somebody that you don't really know and say hey can i ask you questions about basketball and they might not even like the questions that you're asking so you have to kind of take a chance there and then post game that's a whole other environment because again you got guys in and out of showers and various states of undress not always a convenient way to talk to them they want their privacy as they're trying to just you know get dressed and then you kind of have to violate that privacy again and go up to them and ask them questions so you have to learn the nuances of when to come up to somebody i i've learned that the fringe players like the guys that are on the end of the bench maybe are probably more willing to talk to you because nobody really wants to talk to them the superstars get these throngs of media that are like five or six rows deep especially kevin durant at that point in time when he was at an mvp level you, you would have 30 to 40 people surrounding Durant as he's trying to get dressed in a stall and you have these cameras and recorders and everybody's trying to get a question. And that's another thing too, is that you have to work on your timing because you've got somebody from the Oklahoma city you know, newspaper trying to cover the team. They got to get their questions in. Then you've got a local reporter trying to get their questions in and so on and so forth. It's, it could be very, very difficult. And so one of the things that I'd like to do whenever I see somebody saying, oh, I've got credentials for the first time, I always reach out to them and say, listen, don't be, uh, don't hesitate to ask me anything that you might have as far as questions or anything like that, because it is not an easy process. You really do have to figure out a lot of different details so that you can get to that point where you eventually feel comfortable. And then again, like you said, establish that, that, that rapport and, and maybe have like a little repertoire there where it's like, oh yeah, I've seen you around, you know who I am. You, you feel comfortable talking to me and, and hopefully, you know, maybe you get lucky. You absolutely can get lucky. There are people that I've talked to that I did not know who were more than willing to talk to me for 15, 20 minutes at a time, which is practically unheard of. I mean, I, I, I that's very atypical anyway, as far as NBA players like Paul Gasol one time, I had never talked to him before. He was in towards the end of his career when he was with the San Antonio Spurs. And I caught him after shoot around again in Orlando when I was living in Gainesville at the time. And I wound up asking him questions and he sat down like, like right after practice, he sat down next to me, my recorder in my hand, uh, a PR person comes up and says, you know, the team bus is getting away. And he's like, no, don't worry. I'll walk. And he stayed wow. with me in an empty arena, just answering my questions and shook my hand. And he walked away back to his hotel to get ready for a game later that night. That Those kind of interactions are not very frequent, but I was very, very lucky for early on when I was able to establish that kind of connection. 
Well, I think that's that's awesome that you are willing to help people because there are a lot of people that still want to put up the wall. There's people that complain about the gatekeepers. And then once they get in, they want to guard the gate themselves. So I think it's really great that when, you know, other people are getting into the business or getting to a certain point that you help them out. Um, I know this is a little behind the curtain, but I think that the idea of knowing, like you said, the timing, what questions to ask is a really important thing because sometimes people get a little confused about when someone is doing something like a podcast or even writing where some people want to oversimplify it. And I don't mean just uh, people who are haters either. Sometimes people don't understand that when you're there, like you said, in the locker room, and if you're talking to one of the upper echelon uh, players, you could have people who've been doing this for 30 years. And it's not just you asking a question, you're basically on stage because they're watching you as you ask this question. They probably don't know who you are. So you're feeling all this judgment even when you have someone nice, like you said, with Gasol, who sits down with you, there's still that, how do I form my questions? How do I bring up certain things so that you can start to build that relationship that maybe you can expand on later? Can you just talk a little bit more about that, like knowing how to craft, specifically talking to people who are used to talking to people who are professionals who may have been doing this decades before you? It's not easy. Uh, and you kind of have to figure it out because I feel like the best advice, and, and I, I again, I feel a little odd even using it because I feel like there's so much more for me, even me to learn, is that you just have to really know what you're talking about and always try to stick to some level of professionalism. Like I have seen people that ask goofy questions about something they want to do after the game or, you know, what's what's your plan for the Super Bowl and things of that sort. Nothing beats the experience of covering All-Star Weekend because that is such a show and there are people who are quote unquote reporters from all over the world that ask them about, you know, everything from their favorite musician and, you know, what their favorite movies are. And you're trying to ask them actual basketball questions and those things never seem to mesh particularly well. So when you're in a scrum anyway, um, and, and you want to try and, and phrase your question, just have a, a particular kind of you know, angle that you're trying to take that might be a little different and understand that there's a good chance that somebody else is going to ask it. Like the beat reporters are going to ask about something that's currently happening. Like, oh, there was that interaction in the third quarter there where you kind of looked off a certain player or when you got into that foul, what were you thinking when that happened? Or, or what was the thought process behind that? Because they're trying to ask a question that they're going to use that information for right away to, to write their gamers. That's just the way beat rep reporters have to work. They're, they're trying to come up with something that they've got to turn in within an hour and a half before their deadline. So they don't have much time for you. If you're working on either a podcast episode or you're working on a different piece, like a feature, like I do, maybe it's a kind of a, a bigger type story and maybe something a little bit outside of just what happened today, but, you know, speak to, your particular development or what's what it's been like to play with X player or X coach, you know, something along those lines that that has kind of helped you and grow the kind of person that you are, the kind of player that you are. So you have to really know what it is that you want to ask and, and be flexible at the same time. Like you want to come in there with a good attitude and a good base as far as what you're trying to get out of such player or coach. 
but you also have to keep it flexible because you have to see how they respond within the context of that interview, whether it's answering somebody else's question. And this, this is something that happens a lot too, is like you're talking to a player or, or let's say you're in a scrum, you kind of wait your turn to get your question in and you can already see that that player is having a bad day or it just doesn't right. feel very talkative, which is you know totally understandable considering they're human. And we kind of tend to forget that, you know, I've seen players that are, really really verbose one day and then they just clam up the next and you know a lot of that depends on things that we don't even see maybe they broke up with their girlfriend maybe you know maybe their mom's sick or something you never know what's going on behind the scenes and that's another thing is you always have to keep your empathy your humanity about you because you have to understand what these players are going through and you don't want to put them on a spot too because just as you are on a stage asking your question and other reporters are judging you based on that question if you expose a player or ask them a question that makes them feel vulnerable they're going to lash out and 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 feel again vulnerable they're going to get right. pissed off because you're asking them something they don't necessarily want to talk about yeah that's so true and um it's again it's it's about being able to adapt to that that situation and speaking of which uh when wes uh moved on I know that that must have been a little bit difficult as well since you started with him. And I can just tell you, you know, even in my work is when there's a difference between when you're by yourself and you have to cover, you know, 30 minutes or so worth of news. And when you have someone else to bounce off of, what was that transition like dealing with, you know, now being on your own? It wasn't, I mean, I, I'd like to think I handled it well, but I know I didn't. And I, I know that, some people you left some negative reviews about uh, my being on my own. I, I think that's still probably the case. I don't know that I have that timing or cadence down just yet. It, it does, at least to me, it be, it's still a bit of a struggle trying to find a way of making shows that are entertaining and detailed and thoughtful and still try to keep them compact to the point where they're only 30 minutes like I mean you could probably tell just based on this interview I can talk I can talk a long time but at some point it starts like it starts to become like rambling you know you're never quite sure whether or not you're going too far or saying too much and so here I have a, a point that I'm trying to make for the an episode and that could turn into one tangent that leads to another. And next thing you know, the segment that's supposed to be eight to nine minutes, it's probably closer to 20 minutes. And I don't know if I've even made a point. So there, there absolutely has to be, again, another learning curve to it. And with, you know, Wes's departure onto bigger and better things, I, I kind of had to figure out, okay, try to keep it short, try to focus on what you're trying to say right away. I talked to other people who, you know, ran podcasts on their own within the Lockdown Network. That's another part that's been very helpful for me is that you have this network of people that that you know have gone through similar experiences to a large degree and so there were you know the lockdown magic host does his show by himself a couple other people do shows on their own and so i asked them you know what's it like and they're saying you know just try to have an outline or try to make a point with each segment try and think about exactly what you're trying to say and then i still try to come up with things every now and then that you know make it pop or make it interesting so that the listener might uh find it more enjoyable because you, you know, it's a busy market out there. They're, you're trying to compete for a lot of listens in a oversaturated market at times. And so it's not easy. And I try to think I, I have to have a, a self-awareness about what I can do. I am not the kind of person that's going to go into an hour long breakdown of analysis or, or a particular play or anything like that. For me, it's always about bigger issues or what this player might be thinking about or why their performance may have struggled. That's just who I am. And maybe it's just my nature as a writer first. 
but that's just that's been my area of strength and that's just what i kind of have to lean into and you like to think that maybe you've built a an audience that kind of just comes to this comes to my show for what i can capable of giving them because i know that they if they want more thorough analysis i'm sure it's available elsewhere and so you just kind of have to again lean into what you do best and and find a way to make it as interesting as possible for a short amount of time yeah i've found that people uh the people that I've interviewed who end up really loving the conversation usually have some kind of writing background. And when you mentioned uh, writing fiction, I was like, a lot of times I've noticed that people who write fiction, they are already thinking about the next things that they're gonna say and the next things after that. It's kind of like when you build a story, you have your outline and I think the mind ends up doing that. So you wanna tell all of this stuff and then you even start to go back almost as if you're connecting plot points when you speak. So what ends up happening is you wanna give out all this information, but because of a lot of people nowadays are used to Twitter and these short little quick bits <laughs> yeah. or they're waiting for specific information, they think it's rambling, but I think a lot of people appreciate getting that. And I think it also helps connect with, you know, the host uh, for the listener. That, that I look, I, I'm glad to hear you say that. Cause I feel like sometimes that's a part of what's missing is that, you know, you're, you're kind of establishing a relationship with your podcast ho host and, you know, maybe you're not there obviously, but you're listening to them. Even when I listen to podcasts, I like to envision you know, who's talking and, and you kind of develop a, a feel for their cadence and the way they approach things. But you're absolutely right. When it's just me on my own, sometimes I start thinking about something that happened a year or two ago from a particular player. And that leads to another you know, tangential point that I want to make and so on. It kind of just starts building. And, and yeah, it could seem like rambling, but it could also seem like, okay, this is just background that that this person, this host, or in this case, me, feels like sharing and, and some people hopefully gravitate to that. So I, I'm glad you brought that up because that is a concern of mine is that sometimes I do kind of tend to go down deep into a rabbit hole of other points that maybe doesn't necessarily you know stick to the script that I had worked out or the outline that I had developed about this show. I mean, I could be talking about a five point loss and next thing you know, I could be talking about the 2005 Miami Heat or something along those lines. It's always that's always a possibility for me because I, I like to think I have a pretty good memory and I've been covering this team for so long or just following this team for so long that I do have like this incredible information about this group that maybe some other podcast host might not. Also, when you talked about just the, the market where there's different podcasts that people can listen to, another thing that I really appreciate uh, about you and, and, and also just about Heat podcasts in general is it seems like most of the podcasts get along. Like I've heard you when you've been uh, talking to like the Heat Beat guys and talking with, um, you know, Ethan with the uh, Five Reasons. And I mean, I don't d dive into Twitter that deep, so I don't know if sometimes there's there's things deeper in there, but it just seems like overall, it's a community where you guys all work together. It's not like you're trying to knock each other down and be, or, or feel like you have to fight each other for listeners. I mean, I, I totally believe that that's absolutely true. Um, but there is also the competition for listeners. But again, I think it's just... You kind of lean into what you do best. The Miami Heat beat guys have their own way of doing things. And Ethan has his own way of doing things with five reasons sports. And, and you look at what five reasons is a lot of their hosts, you know, not Ethan them necessarily started off with Miami Heat beat. So there's absolutely a community there. And when Miami Heat beat was during their shows, it was right after Wes and I had, had done the heat check, which was our first podcast. And, 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 you know, it was just us 
and them and not really any kind of professional approach to this, just talking about basketball and when people were first starting to really listen to podcasts regularly. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know that it's worth really getting into it and just attacking people via Twitter or anything like that. Like, yeah, I think on a personal level, you're always going to have some kind of disagreements with the way they might do things or the way they might say something about a particular player. But I'll, I personally try to keep it off the timeline and just kind of reach out to them and go and say, Hey, what, what did you mean by this? Just in case there was some kind of misunderstanding there. Cause I'd rather clarify it behind the scenes rather than launch into an attack that is possibly groundless on Twitter, which I've seen happen a number of times there, but there's also other up and coming podcasts. There's the Miami heat UK podcast with Dan Healy. There's vice city hoops. There's the three Oh five culture pod. Again, like I said, it was, it is an oversaturated market, but maybe everybody has their own voice that they want to lend to talking about this team. And, and just cause I've been doing it longer. doesn't mean I'm any better at it than anybody else. And, or that I should be exclusive about what I talk about when it comes to the team. And I think that it's important uh, because what happens is, like you said, sometimes there's people that want a different flavor. Sometimes people want all the flavors, but at, at a different time. I know myself, I am a transactions guy. I like the news. Sometimes I also like personal stories. So there may be a time where I see, oh, they're actually talking about transactions and they're talking about it, you know, smartly. And that's what I want to listen to. So I think that even if you do have a lot of different people you have enough diversity in the way that they do their various shows that it allows different people to be able to listen to all these shows. So someone doesn't feel totally left out to that point. I really like that on your show, you take listener questions. You're one of the podcasts that I really think emphasizes that a lot. Um, I know that dealing with Twitter and, and dealing with the public can be tricky. And I love the fact that you you answer a lot of questions, even some of the questions that I could tell that it's like, yeah, you probably didn't want to answer that, but you want to let everyone have their shot to give their voice. I mean, I think it's only fair to be honest with you. I mean, look, part of it is also, it helps me carry on that conversation because I have no co-host. So for somebody else to submit a question is an opportunity for me to direct my answer specifically at that person. And, you know, to the benefit, hopefully of everybody who's listening to the show, but yeah, you want to engage your listeners. I feel like, you know, we started off small as far as our, our Twitter listener base, and that's grown pretty largely over the last couple of years. So Part of that, I think, has been building that community and getting fans to understand what I'm like as a person, peeling away the curtain for a little bit so that they can know what I'm like, and not just as a podcast host, but as a person and then answering their questions. And I always try to emphasize reaching out to me as often as possible. Like over the past year in particular, I feel like so much has gone on for people, humanity, the, the world in general. And with the constant struggle, with the fighting for so many social justice movements, everything that's happening with our pol you know, pol political system and everything else, to me, it's important for me to just say, look, you have somebody available because I know in Twitter and it's so easy to just direct 140 whatever characters at somebody without really thinking about nuance or context. But there is a lot going on behind the scenes that you're not aware of. And so... I always say, look, reach out to me, send me a message. I put my phone number out before, you know, I've gotten people who text me, uh, you know, about problems or concerns about the show, or even when I 
do get political, which I try to keep to a limited basis, but I also I'm not going to deny that it's important to me. And when there are things going on, like what happened in the Capitol or when you know players are boycotting the league and things of that sort, I, I mean, I'm going to talk about it because it's important because I, I do feel very strongly about issues like this. And I feel like, you know, our fans, my listeners should know about it. And I've had people leave comments saying, oh, you're getting too political. It's like, well, you know what? Then don't listen. Hopefully you'll find a different flavor elsewhere else, but this is who I am. And so it's important for me to engage that community. And part of that is just, you know, answering questions about a particular player after a particular game. Like, what did you like about Goran Dragic? Or what, what are your concerns about Jimmy Butler, et cetera? Yeah, and I think that what's important, and you touched on that, was the distinction between being part of social media, interacting with people, and not letting it affect you too much because I do know some people who have went to podcasting and they're also trying to build through social media because they think that's the quickest way to build their audience and community. But sometimes they become affected by it because they begin to listen so much. And it's usually the loudest people who are trying to dictate how they want you to be that they're scared to take control of their own show. And I've seen that you've kept control of your show, especially like when you were defending uh, Dion Waiters, there were a lot of people that just wanted to jump on him and attack him. And you, you stood fast saying, hey, you know, there's more to this than just that. And you explained yourself. And I know some people just like to jump on that train, especially on Twitter. Once something gets on fire, people want to keep burning it. But you held strong to that. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about that, making sure that you engage with the public, but you have to remember it's your show and you have to stare at the way that you want to? I mean, to me, it maybe my wife always says, well, that's just who you are. I think that's your second nature. Uh, there's a, a running joke between the two of us that uh, based on that Larry David character from Curb Your Enthusiasm, I have become a, a social assassin because I'm so direct and, uh, you know, just very honest about things. And and again, like I mentioned before, this is just who I am all the time. I, I don't know that I have any kind of veneer or surface or anything like that. Another No superficial aspect to it when I become a, a, a podcast host. And so my feelings are strong. I'm going to share them. I'm going to dictate you know, the way I talk about them within the context of the show. So while I'm open to challenging, you know, being challenged and, and hearing a different opinion in a case like Dion's, I, I feel like I know the situation a lot better than most of the people who are chiming in. And so I, I, I just want to, you know, show my, my case, explain it as well as possible. And if you disagree or not, again, I, I have no choice but to, to just continue to talk about the things that I talk about the way I want to talk about them. And hopefully you'll agree. So my last few questions uh, are more just about the heat themselves, because I know a lot of times people are trying to bridge that gap between fan and being informed. And a lot of times when they listen, they may not quite understand because they think, oh, well, I'm on Twitter too. I'm listening to something. Uh, to, to expound on that, the idea of like rumors about trades. Everybody likes the transaction, especially Miami Heat fans. So they're always interested in what's coming forth. But I think what ends up happening is some fans seem so wanting to have something happen that if they hear a rumor, and even if it's clearly told, hey, this is a rumor, that when it doesn't come th through, they want to attack the host. And I've seen that on Twitter and stuff like that. I don't want to give too much to these people because a lot of people just like to complain for complaining sake. But 
how do you handle things as far as you know hearing rumors or sources because that's got to be difficult that you want to give out this news but at the same time you understand in the business it may not convey but fans may think oh you don't know anything you're just making it up well i've also carved out a niche where i'm not like a, a newsbreaker i'm not going to be you know necessarily i'm not adrian wojnarowski or shams charania or anybody else that kind of plugs into sources and tries to find that information out so to me if i do find something out generally I'll, I'll keep it to myself unless I feel it's important to add context to a situation. And from there, it's also like, you know, kind of digging in and, and talking to other reporters or people that might be more sourced when it comes to a particular player on a particular team. And then you kind of just ask and get a, a better story, a better understanding of what the narrative might be. And you just kind of just have to navigate your way where you're comfortable talking about something that, that you know to be certain without wanting to i don't know you don't want to give away too much or you don't want to uh you know and dig into somebody's privacy or anything like that and you know in a case like dion like now that he's no longer in the team and i know i keep bringing the situation up but you did mention it like i had talked to people who were close to dion i knew what was going on with the whole gummy situation and everything right. else like that and it was just easy for people to make jokes about you know dion being high all the time and uh, you know, because he gained weight and everything else like that. And there was just, there was no nuance to it. There was no real deeper understanding of what a player is going through. And I feel like that's something that's often missing when it comes to like trade talks and things of that sort. Like you're talking about humans whose lives are going to get uprooted. It's not just about a transaction and it's easy to fall into them. Believe me, I've been there. I'm there just as much as everybody else. But I've also talked to players about what it's like to get. Uh, I, I remember talking to Amir Johnson about the prospect of getting traded. And he was said he was uh, at a mall once with his wife and kids. And uh, he found out by phone. And there he is in the middle of the mall. All of a sudden he gets traded from one team to another. And it's like these kinds of things happen all the time. And we always tend to disregard this. So to me, that's always been a big part of, of just trying to look at news, but also understand the, the human quotient of it because it's so important and it often gets lost when it comes to transactions and things of that sort. Do you think that as far as the heat this year, do you think that it is, it is better to try and keep the same team together? Or do you think that it's a better move to try and make changes? Because the, the debate seems to be people who are talking about Jimmy's prime and they're talking about how he's going to get old, Tib, Tib's minutes, things like that. But then there's a lot of fans who just rather stand pack, especially if they think that the Lakers or maybe the Nets, even though Nets don't look very good right now, might be bigger contenders. What do you think overall is the best move for them? I, I feel like, and you hinted at it, uh, his window is so short. And unfortunately, that does, that's, this is where you kind of have to remove that human aspect that I was talking about because you, you're trying to acquire the most talented players possible. And I, I made that conversation up, you know, when we were talking about James Harden being a prospect for Miami and, and Tyler Hero, a young player, a player who we know was probably hearing all these rumors. And you could tell on the court that he was struggling at the, at the beginning of the season when it was named, his name was linked to, to Harden as a potential trade piece. Uh, and, you know, when it comes to Jimmy, he doesn't have much time left. He wants a championship here. It's going to define his career. The Heat have made that promise to him because I feel like there's incredible amounts of pressure 
understanding that they didn't maximize Dwayne's time in Miami, especially during the 2008 through 2010 seasons when he was playing at an MVP level, but they were sacrificing cap space, you know, in order to save it for 2010 for the formation of the big three, it cost them the opportunity to build a contender around a particular player. And then even towards the end of his career, when he was playing on somewhat mediocre teams, they always felt bad about the fact that they ever they weren't able to make the most of his tenure in Miami and compete for championships as often as he deserved to be. Obviously, he had success during the Big Three era, but even before that and after that, they wanted to continue to build uh, around Dwayne. And I think they feel the same way about Jimmy. And so they want to make sure that they provide him with the best team possible. So I, to me personally, if it was just up to me, I like their personalities on this team. I like Kelly Olenek. I like talking to him. I, I like Tyler. I like seeing where his future holds and everything else. But that's just not it. It's not about what I feel about this team. It's about what the reality is. And the reality is that they want to give Jimmy and Bam a championship. And to do that, you have to acquire as much talent as possible. So if you're asking me what I personally would want, it's to just stand pat and see if you can duplicate last year's success and maybe make some moves around the edges, you know, bring in another player to kind of shore up your front court to provide some more wing defense and things of that sort. And then uh, if you're asking the team what they would want, it's probably to get Jimmy a championship and to acquire a superstar because that's just, that's who Pat Riley's always been since he joined this team in 1995. I'll never forgive him for trading, trading away my favorite player at the time, Glenn Rice, in order <laughs> to acquire Alonzo Mourning. And yeah, it paid off. Alonzo is a hall of famer. But Glenn was my favorite player, and I just couldn't believe it that he was being traded away so mercilessly by Pat Riley. At the same time, I recognized that Zoe was a fantastic player, and I knew who Pat Riley was from watching him coach the Knicks and everything else like that. But I've got one jersey hanging in my closet, and it's Glenn Rice's. So, Pat, if you're listening to the show, I'll never forgive you for it. <laughs> Man, if Pat listens to the show, I, I, would, I would lose it. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> um, my last question is kind of two in one, but it's, it's kind of like the same thing. Um, do you have any other stories about like just a great time doing the podcast, whether it's just by yourself or with a um, with Wes or with uh, someone that you're interviewing? Um, and the second one would be, do you have a story about just interviewing a Heat player, just a great experience that you had working with someone with the Heat? Wow. Um, you know, on the on the podcast, I, I think it happens all the time. Like you, you, you might not expect it you're, you're interviewing you know another national reporter or somebody like that about a story and you kind of just get into a conversation and, and you start to feel what I think a lot of people refer to as kind of like a, a, a reporter buzz because it just it becomes such an organically grown conversation where you're really there's some real back and forth connection there and you see where this conversation is going next and that's always been a really pleasurable experience to me. And I've had it a number of times. I've been very fortunate to be able to talk to people from all sorts of different fields, uh, uh, you know, well, the field of basketball, but all other teams and other outlets and things of that sort. They bring this incredible conversation uh, to another level. And so I've been very, very fortunate with that. So it's happened on a number of occasions. And I really always enjoy being able to talk about the sport and then somebody kind of throws in another angle that I didn't even see coming. And it's like, Oh my God, this takes the conversation to a whole other level and so on. And it just keeps going and going. So I've been very, very lucky uh, when it comes to players and, and heat players in particular, man, I, I, I was so fortunate to be able to talk to uh, Chris Silva when his story was first coming out last year. And I wrote a, a piece for a uh, fan sided about it because like, 
I talked to his agent and that was at the time when his agent, you know, was just trying to understand what Christmas was going to be like as far as being a heat player. And I reached out to his agent and he said, yeah, you will set something up for you. So I sat down with him at his, in the lobby of his hotel room for like an hour and a half, two hours, just talking. And, you know, this was, he was just able to kind of open up about his family and, and his journey about Gabon, where he's from and, and the strife that they're going through there as a country. And, and it was just to be able to connect with him and to get that kind of conversation. And it was just, it was a, another level and, and it happens a lot. I mean, I, I can't say that's happened a lot for me, but it's happened sometimes where you're, you get to a certain points where you have these conversations with players um, more and more often, especially if you're working for larger outlets. And so that connection becomes a lot more available to you. But even before that, I, one time I, I sidled up to Josh Richardson when he was with the team, which is why I'll, I'll always have a, a soft spot for Josh and just ask him a lot of questions about, his personal life and things that he liked off the floor and, and, and things of that sort. Like he talked, he told me about dunking Oreo cookies with a fork and a cup of milk. Like, like that's his, he's like, yeah. And he's like talking about this as earnestly as you could possibly imagine. He's like, yeah, no mess. And he's just like in the middle of the locker room following a win, talking to me about Oreo cookies. And I'm like laughing my butt off here because he was just, he's so honest and open. And he was just, he's just a good kid talking about things that he loves off the floor. And so those conversations, when they do happen, fantastic. And, and, and Josh is one of them. Chris was another one, but it's happened a lot, to be honest with you. I've been very, very fortunate over the last couple of years since I got my first credentials in 2016 and to be able to be in so many different locker rooms, to talk to so many players at all-star across the, the country. Uh, I've been very, very, very lucky. That's great. And I mean, that's one of the great parts about just being in a business where you can talk to people is, you know, you're able to learn things or just have these great conversations that may not even have anything to do with what you originally started talking about, but it turns out to be great content in the end anyway. But I really, really want to thank you for taking the time and talking to us today. It was really informative and fun. And it's always great to get a behind the scenes look about how things are done because with as much information as there is out there, there's still a lot of people that just want to hear from the person who did things like what that journey was like. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, again, I, I think a lot of people in this business are, are like that where they're comfortable talking about themselves to a certain degree. But, but I, I also feel like for me anyway, if I do get to impart any kind of information or wisdom, it's absolutely a joy. And, and to all of your listeners, if you are ever questioning, you know, entering this business or you have concerns about what it might be like, or you want to know what it's like to go into a certain situation that I might be familiar with, reach out to me. My, my DMs are open. My email is out there and I'm available as much as I possibly can be. And we'll definitely put that on the uh, podcast just in case so people can can go out, get out there and see your work and also get in contact with you if they so want to. But thanks again for that. Absolutely. One of my favorite quotes is, when you learn, teach, and when you get, give. In a world of gatekeepers, it is always refreshing to find someone who's not only willing to hold the gate open, but to help those who come after to walk through it. For those of you who would like to reach out to Dara Mill, you can follow him on Twitter at DRamil13. That's D-R-A-M-I-L 13. The number 13, just in case. You can also reach out to me on Twitter at J-A-L-A-R-O-C. That's J-A-L-A-R-A-Q-U-E. 
While I normally ask the questions, I am always willing to also answer them. Also, if there's someone that you'd like to see featured on this podcast, just message me and let me know, and I will try my best to make it happen. Until next time, thank you for listening.